0: I'd like to do this morning as we carry on looking at this portrait of Jesus, this picture that Mark is painting of Jesus and who he is and his life and ministry, we're going to look at one day in Jesus' life as he ministered. And this is really one day, all right? And if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 21 through to uh, verse 29, verse 28. And it simply says this, I have made some for you, uh, if you want to follow on the PowerPoint. It says this, they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned amongst themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So here we have this one ministry day. Immediately after Jesus has called His disciples and said, I want you to fish for men," we read that they go to the synagogue in Capernaum, and it's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's one of the few sites that Mark specifically mentions as a center for where Jesus preached and uh, how he taught and healed. And so we have this amazing description on the Sabbath day of Jesus preaching in the synagogue and something amazing happens as the result of his preaching. And so I'd like to look at three things. The first thing is the authority of Jesus. I've got three simple points this morning. The authority of Jesus as the first thing that we can take out of this portion. It's amazing that Jesus never made claims for himself. Um, In a real sense, he was humble, and the Bible tells us that over and over. He didn't have any social background that would elevate him or give him any special standing in the community. His name simply is Joshua, Jesus, very ordinary Jewish name, very common Jewish name. And he never calls himself Jesus the teacher, Jesus the rabbi, He simply calls himself Jesus. He doesn't call himself Jesus the politician. He's simply Jesus. And why is that? It's because Jesus wants people who can discern who he is to understand him for who he is. So he doesn't make any great claims about himself. And yet those who begin to have eyes to see who Jesus is recognize him as the Son of God. And we see from this portion what Mark is saying over and over is that Jesus has authority. Verse 22, they were astonished at the authority of what he taught. In verse, 27 to, uh, verse 23 to 27, it says they also marveled that he had authority to command an evil spirit to leave a person. And thirdly, we see... That without any attempt to be famous, without ever going on Love Island or any one of those shows that seek a 15-minute fame, without doing that, it says, just by who he was and the authority that he demonstrated through his life, his fame spread through the whole region. And people heard about this man with authority, this person called Jesus. And so he didn't need to advertise And isn't that amazing? Where there's true spiritual authority, you don't need to advertise. It becomes obvious, and the news gets out, and the news gets out, there is spiritual authority in this place that can set people free. And later on, we read at the end of the day, we read that he goes to Simon Peter's house, and there that he has authority not only over demonic power, but he has authority over simple sickness that Peter's mum in law is suffering from. It says that she is ill with Uh, a fever. And he simply heals her. And I find it fascinating that all over the world, wherever I go, sometimes I feel like people are more interested in Jesus healing them than they are in Jesus saving them. They want Jesus the healer who can do stuff for them and get their lives right. But Jesus the Savior who says, come and follow me. Leave aside your whole, all, all that you've have there and come and follow me. Not so keen on Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the Lord, the Jesus who says, I want all of you. And so we need, as we pray for healing, let's also be those that are praying for salvation, that people will come to know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, the one who can take the whole of their life and transform the whole of their life. And so we see here again that Jesus demonstrates healing in such a simple way. He doesn't have to manipulate. He doesn't have to overclaim. I'm saying some things in the context of leading church for 25 years. I've seen a lot of overclaiming with healing in the church. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't try and hype it up. It says simply, with a word, she is healed. I love that. You know, you don't have to shout when you're praying for people. You don't have to have a sort of spiritual kind of like persona that comes upon you when you're praying for people. Have you noticed people do that? They get all weird when they start to pray for people. Suddenly they have a funny voice. And they kind of have this funny voice when they pray for people. And it sounds like, Oh, God, God, please move on this person in the name of Jesus. And you have to have the Jesus part. You don't have to get weird when you pray for people. The authority is not in your prayer. The authority is not in your voice. The authority is in the name of Jesus. And He's the one that heals. And He's the one that demonstrates that so simply here. And what is he saying? He's saying, as he's demonstrating, he's saying that actually, can you see the kingdom that he announced was coming? The kingdom is here right before your very eyes. And I'm demonstrating that right now. I have authority over evil spirits. I have authority over sickness. And with the word, I can deal with all that stuff. And we have that same authority residing in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I've been reading and and studying a little, you know, Jesus wasn't the only person teaching. He wasn't the only person doing miracles at that time in in Israel. But what Mark is trying to get us to understand when he talks about Jesus and the way that Jesus did authority and the, uh, the, the way that Jesus did miracles is that he was set apart from all the others because he had this absolute authority, this quiet, assured authority that set people free. And so the first demonstration of that is in this very public forum, the synagogue, where we have this demonized man. Now, sometimes the presence of Jesus disturbs people, and right here in the middle of the synagogue, isn't that interesting? In the middle of the synagogue, in the church meeting, there's a man who's so disturbed by the presence of Jesus that a demon manifests in his life. And we see he's so broken and so disturbed in his personality and so damaged that the demon even speaks through him. Now, that I just want to put a little background this morning. You know, the Jews and the whole of the ancient world believed strongly in the demonic and in evil spirits. And we see clearly in the Gospels that there are many people that are under the influence and power of demons that are set free. But it's a good question to ask, where did this belief in demons come from? And I I want to ask that question because we're trying to see the context in which Jesus ministered. For us in 21st century Christians, all all demons are fallen angels. That's what we believe the Bible says, that a third of the angels fell from heaven. They rebelled against the Lord, and uh, they were thrown out of heaven. And those fallen angels are demons, that they do the, the, the bidding of Satan. And the ultimate thing is that at the end, when Jesus comes back, they will be thrown into the lake of fire when Jesus returns in glory, and their end is certain. They will be destroyed. But that's not what the ancient world believed. Some believed that demons were as old as creation itself. Um, Others believed that demons were the spirits of wicked people that had died and were carrying on doing that wicked person's work. And most Jews connected the demonic with the story of Genesis six, and I want to read it to you. It's going to come up on the screen as well. Verse one to eight. It says this: When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. And the Lord said, "My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh." and his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim, we're not quite sure who the Nephilim were, were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, and the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of the face of the, was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only to do evil continually. And so the, in the Jewish tradition... They, they took, uh, elaborated this story further, and they said that there were two angels that rebelled against God and came to earth because they were attracted to the beauty of mortal woman. This is what the Jew- Jewish tradition teaches. And the names of these two um, angels were Asiel and Shemakshai, these two angels. And one of them returned to God, but the other one remained on earth, and the de- demons were the children that he fathered with these women on earth. And so the collective word in Jewish tradition for, uh, you, you, are you following me? Please go. Yes. The collective word that the Jews had for demonic powers was mazikin, which means one who does harm. And so demons were seen as these malignant beings between God and humans who were doing harm to God's people. And according to Jewish tradition, there were millions of them. They could eat, they could drink, they could reproduce themselves. They were—they lived in unclean places, so they lived in places like tombs or where there was no cleansing water that Jews believed water was a cleansing agent. They lived in deserts where their howling could be heard, and hence the expression, the howling wind in the desert is speaking of a demonic belief. They were, they were said to be especially... Um, Dangerous to travelers, those that traveled alone, or to women giving birth in childbirth, to a bride and a groom in a wedding, uh, to children who went out after dark, uh, and there were demons associated with blindness, with leprosy. There was a demon of all kind of uh, illnesses. And so the Jews also believed that they worked in, in alignment with certain animals like snakes, the bull, the mosquito, all of these, all of these uh, animals were associated with the demonic, and they were known by various names. And so, the, the female name was Lilith, and wherever we, we we get the English word Lilith from Lilin, which is a name associated with a demon in, in Jewish tradition. So, when you're reading a novel and you read that the female character is called Lilith. It's very seldom going to be a good character, right? So whenever you're reading and you read the word Liddith, you know this lady is not going to be a positive person in the book. And so I was fascinated also to discover this, that in Matthew 18.10, we see Jesus talking about guardian angels being there to protect children. And this was because Jewish people believed that female demons were especially enemies of children, and that God, to protect children, gave guardian angels. And that's what it says in, in, in 18, uh, Matthew 18.10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you in heaven that the angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, as I'm saying all this stuff, you might say as a 21st century person, that's really weird. I don't get that. That's um, all a bit strange. But here's the point. People living in the New Testament time of Jesus really believed like this. And in fact, I read this week of a doctor who did some research, archaeological research, a guy called Dr. Short. And he shows the intensity with which the ancient world believed in the demonic. And they found in ancient cemeteries, they've actually found skulls of people with a hole drilled into the skull. It's called trepanning. And they found that actually from the way that the wound healed, this was done while the person was still alive. So in other words, they were trying to release the demonic out of the person. So they drilled a hole. They took the little piece of skull, kept it as an amulet, a good luck charm around their, 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 their necks. And they believed that as they did that, the demon was released from the person. I don't know if you knew this, but there were, there were exorcists in, in, in the early church that were there to cast out demons. In 340 AD, um, the, the Christian church actually had an order of exorcists that... Um, cast out demons. But here, the point of me saying all of this is that, here's the point. Jewish um, healers and pagan exorcists, they used elaborate inc- incantations, they used spells, they used rites to cast out this spirit. In fact, Joseph, jo- Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, he quotes this guy called Elizear, who was, th- demonstrated his ability to, to um, deliver demons before Vespasian, the, the Roman emperor. And yes, I've, I've, I've put it up here. I'm quoting him. This is, this is a, a Josephus speaking of what Elisaia did. It said, he says, He put to the nose of the possessed man a ring which was under its seal, one of the roots prescribed by Solomon. And when the man smelt it, he drew the demon out through his nostrils. And when the man fell down, he told the demon never to come back into him again, speaking Solomon's name and reciting incantations which he had composed. Then wishing to convince the bystanders and to prove to them that he had power, Eleazar placed a cup, a foot basin of water, a little way off and commanded the demon as it went out of the man to overturn the cup and to make known to the spectators that he had left the man. So he has a story of someone in Vespasian's presence casting out a demon. And this is how... This worked in, in, in Jewish and pagan cultures. There was some special spell formula, incantation, some rite, which was supposed to have power to cast the demon out. What is the point in the story of Jesus? Jesus doesn't need any of that stuff to set people free. With one word, he has authority to cast out what is unclean. And so I want to encourage you as you live your life as a Christian that the authority of Christ is in you. You don't need to be afraid of any power, any principality, anything that tries to intimidate you. With one word you can speak, and it is said, it's dealt with. This is the confidence that we have as Christians. Amen? It's fascinating to me also that the demons recognize who Jesus is was, and they knew the destruction was in, at hand. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? We know who you are. You are the Holy Son of God. There's also more evidence uh, in the New Testament of how powerful the, the work of the Holy Spirit is in Acts 19, verse 11. It says this, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchief or the apron that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Isn't that amazing? The story in Acts, there's something even in the handkerchief that had been touched by, by um, Paul, that there was some kind of power that released people from, from the demonic and uh, from sickness. And then it carries on, it says... Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, these people that I've been describing, undertook to evoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the Spirit answered them. So he has the Jewish exorcist trying to do his stuff, you know. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I command you to leave this person. And the the Spirit answers back and says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil, evil, evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. And fear came upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who um, now became believers confessed and divulging their practices. And the, the, the number of those that practiced magic arts brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily. Now when I had a look at that, 50,000 pieces of silver is millions of pounds today. Millions of pounds. These scrolls they had were of great value, and they burned them. And the name of Jesus was extolled. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's authority in the name of Jesus over every demonic and evil force and what is the source of jesus authority it's a good question to ask did he just have authority because he was the son of god that's true but it doesn't stop there we saw a number of weeks ago that jesus also got baptized and the holy spirit came upon him and the affirmation of his father was there this is my son in whom i'm well pleased but even jesus the son of god affirmed by his father even jesus needed to pray (laughs) <laughs> and we read in um, chapter 1 of Mark in verse 35, we'll get to it. In the middle of an extremely busy time of ministry, Jesus needed to pray. And so what does it say? And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He went out to a desert place, and there He prayed. Even Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the, the humble, humble King, perfectly affirmed by the Father, absolute power and authority over all things, even Jesus needed to pray. Jesus is our example. I want to encourage you. Perhaps the 21st century church is so powerless because it's so prayerless. You know, one of the things that always strikes me when we go to Cambodia, when we pray for people for healing, they come expecting that you are going to pray and that they are going to get healed. There's no doctor there's no pill. There's no, there's no magic potion they're going to take to get them well. They're in the middle of a village in the middle of nowhere. They have nothing. If you say you have authority in the name of Jesus to pray, they believe you, and they want you to pray for them so they can get healed. Great challenge. Where's our default? Are we really trusting Jesus to heal us? And so I want to encourage you. Let's be those that are prayerful in our lives so that we can see God use us in power. Amen? So there's this very public thing that happens in the synagogue. And then the next thing is there's a very private thing that happens in someone's home. Verse 29, it says, Immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. So he has another demonstration of this kingdom that Jesus has announced and is beginning to, to demonstrate. We see this power now, not over the demonic, but over a simple sickness. And uh, Jesus and those that he called him to be fishes of men go to this house and... Um, Peter's mother-in-law is immediately healed and begins to wait on them. So, again, I want to just say three little things out of this little story. It tells us something about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus doesn't need an audience to demonstrate His power. He doesn't always need a public place to demonstrate His power. He was prepared to pray for someone in a little fisherman's cottage with a small circle of friends as he was to demonstrate his power in the public place in the synagogue in front of a big crowd. He was never too tired to help and he must have been tired at the end of the day. But what is most unique again is the way that Jesus worked. I've already seen that in Jesus' day there were many people that did with elaborate incantations and spells try to heal people. And here again, Jesus speaks one word and the healing is complete. So, Again, I just want to say to demonstrate this thing of Jesus having a different authority than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I read this week that the Talmud actually um, provides a way that Jews used to pray for fevers. The Talmud was the written-down oral tradition of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus sometimes makes reference to that. Sometimes He makes reference to the law of Moses. Other times He's making reference to... To Jewish tradition of the scribes and Pharisees written down in the Talmud and the Talmud said this this is how you would deal with a fever you uh, um, You had to have a knife made entirely of iron and it was tied by a braid of hair to a thorn bush and on three successive days you would recite Exodus 3 uh, verse 2 to 3, Exodus 3 verse 4, Exodus 3 verse 5, and that's the story of Moses and the burning bush. And then there was an incantation that you would sp- sp- speak over the person, and after that they were meant to be healed. So that's how Jewish healers would have done it. That's how the scribes and the Pharisees would have said, this is how you get rid of a fever. You have to do all this stuff. And here again, what does Jesus do? He simply comes into a home, he loves the woman, and with a word he speaks, and the fever leaves. It's very different. That's the point that Mark's trying to say. The authority of Jesus is very different to the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the the word used in Greek here for power is exousia, which means a unique knowledge demonstrated with unique power. And that's what Mark is trying to say. Jesus was completely unique, set apart from everyone else, set apart from the scribes, the Pharisees, the pagans, everyone else was trying to do stuff. He had this unique authority unique power that was demonstrated by just speaking and things happened amen that's the same power that resides in you and in me and so not only does it tell us about Jesus the second thing I want to say it tells us something about the disciples they'd just been called as fishes of men they didn't know Jesus very well but already they were taking their troubles to him do you notice that penis suddenly say hey Jesus my, my mom-in-law she, she's not well And the most natural thing in the world for them was to ask Jesus to come and help. Can I ask you kindly, what's the most natural expression in your life when you need help? Is it Jesus? Is our default Jesus? Or is our default counseling? Is our default, these are good things. I'm not saying they're bad things. But is our default to go first to Jesus and say, Jesus, I really need your help here like the disciples did? Or do we go to many other sources? And then when those don't work, we go to Jesus and say, oh, well, Jesus, maybe I should pray about this. Are you with me? I want to encourage you. Jesus wants to share his life with you. He wants you to share his life with him. That means your problems. It means your joys. It means those things that cares for you. He wants to share those things. He wants to become a traveling companion through your life. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. He takes pleasure in all that you are and all that you do. He's concerned for the things that concern you, no matter how big or small you think those things are. Jesus wants to share those with you. He wants to come into your home, just like he did with Peter's mother-in-law. And he just wants to speak the word into your heart so you can be set free from that thing, whatever it is. That's how much he loves you. He wants to share your joys your hopes your fears your dreams and he listens to you better than anyone else can what do you need to take to him today (laughs) i've got some things that i need to take to him what what do you need to take to jesus today lastly tell something about peter's mother-in-law it says this immediately after she's healed it says she begins to serve as soon as she's renewed herself on the inside, as soon as she's set free, she gives herself in serving others. What's my point? Very simple. We are all saved for purpose. We are all saved to love others. We are all saved to give ourselves away for Jesus' kingdom. And so he helps us in our time of need, and he gets us sorted so that we too can be those that help others. So I want to encourage you as you look at, on this new school year. What, what are you going to give yourself to this year? How are you serving others in, through your life? Now that you know Jesus, perhaps he's, you, you've, you, you know him, you've been saved. Perhaps he's done a whole lot of stuff on the inside of your life and you feel healed and whole again. What well, I want to encourage you. What are you going to do to give that away? I love the scripture. It says the grace that we have received, this loving kindness that we've received, that same grace that has comforted us, we comfort others with the grace that we've received. It's saying the same thing. Paul's saying the same thing. I want to encourage you, find some area this year that you can give yourself away. You have been freely loved and find a place where you can freely love others. Not because you must, not because I'm telling you to, but because it's out of love for what Jesus has done for you. So I want to encourage you with that. How are you going to give yourself away this year? And what can you do? To let your life reflect something of the kingdom that God has brought inside of you, and how can that be lived out in your workplace, with your family, with your friends at university, that something of the kingdom of, of God can come through you. Amen. Jesus has all authority. It's unique. It's demonstrable. It's with a word. That same authority is available to you and to me by the power of the Spirit, and all God wants is us take that and use it and to serve others as we do that amen i was going to break bread but it's it's already a little bit late so let's just pray and uh, trust god for a wonderful wonderful week jesus thank you for the authority of your word thank you for the authority of your spirit and lord we want to live courageous lives for you and my prayer for this whole church community every single person here is that as we live our lives this week we would be courageous we would realize that power that is available to us on the inside that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in our lives that the same Jesus that with a word cast out demons and heal sicknesses can do the same through us and Lord I pray that you teach us to put our confidence not in our ability but in the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. And Lord, we want to see you do amazing things through us as a church community this year. And so I pray for courage. That we would be those that take the first little step to pray for someone, or to speak of what you've done for us, that we might see you use us in an amazing way and demonstrate this kingdom that you have proclaimed and said is here. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. May God bless you and keep you. May God make His face to shine upon you and give you peace this week. Live a courageous and joyful life. Amen.